Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. novice had been exposed to many sights. Psychers driven insane by their ability to touch the churning madness of the warp. Human beings whose flesh and minds had been twisted beyond all recognition. Things less than alive that boiled with infernal psychic power. But all these were enemies she could understand. They were foes that, although reviled, Leilani could grasp in her reason. But the traitors? What possible motive could they have? This was the greatest era of humankind, with the galaxy turning at their feet and the great crusade at its height. Why would one so highly placed as the War Master Horus wish to put a match to the Emperor's Utopia when its completion was so close at hand? That was the sultry tones of David Witek. This is Transmission 10 of After Illidor. And that is none other than the lore master of the show himself, Greg Dan. Greg, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am so glad to be here and doing this today. (laughs) Hell yeah. Oh, yes. Tales of Heresy. Indeed. I think it's worth mentioning, uh, due to the site going down, we couldn't have the feedback from the previous episode. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. 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 Things happen, but moving on, we, we can look at doing that again. Yeah. Oh, that was so bad. I apologize. Well, I, that's not my fault, but yeah, someone in France hacked our website and put up an uh, something for a, a French prostitute site. No, we will blame the French. Yeah. Well, hey. Yeah. You know, yeah. Somebody's <laughs> got to be to blame. It was, hey, I'm not running a French brothel. It's not, I didn't do it, you know, but... Not only did they hack the site, but we, it was unrecoverable. Like that's why we had to start something brand new. So, um, oh good. So, but here we are. Um, this is this is the first uh, of the short story books we're covering, isn't it? It is indeed. Yes, and also considered one of the best. Yeah, this. You know what? I. It's funny because I know I've read at least two of these because as you, I, I know you're up to date on these. I stopped. Like I'm like if I'm rereading them I'm not I'm not fresh I'm gonna come I'm gonna be the guy who comes at them fresh once I get caught up to where I've already read I've got enough stuff with Age of Sigmar, yeah. and uh, I I actually thought this was the other group of short stories I was expecting the story with the Ultramarines training and stuff like that and I'm like wait where's that story and then I'm reading these and I'm I'm kind of remembering them as I read them and I like this book a lot <laughs> I, I forgot how much I liked this book yeah it's uh, I mean. I easily remember this because of the two major stories that people reference, which, you know, Blood Games and Last Church uh, are, are real standouts at the time. Oh, so good. still talk about them now, even when they haven't read them for a long time. Yeah. So I was looking forward to this. I know a few people were looking forward to I did have a few messages like, how are you guys going to do The Last Church? It's like, well, we can talk. It's all good. We'll do it. I don't. I, how do you not? I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't realize it would be a problem. I'm just sitting here. I'm I think like, the fact is, it's it's um, it's pretty much all a conversation. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, you know, we we don't we don't describe action. It's it's two blokes sitting around, but there's there's plenty to talk about within that. There's lots of little cool things in here. My daughter just about had a stroke, by the way. I've stopped taking note notes, and I'm just writing in the book now. Like, I've got well, these. Hey, they're soft cover books, and I don't. I'm, it's how many times am I going to read them? I'm actually highlighting to, in the books and taking. You know what? I do this I'm, for work. Like, I'm going to apologize to all the. People out there now who are screaming at Dave for writing in a book. Listen, I do this for work, okay? If I want another copy, and I'm not writing in the hardcover copies that people have sent me. Those are nice. But literally, like this copy is, I've, I've read through it. It's dog-eared. It's beat up. And That's when I buy books for work, I like need to take notes right in them. So when I'm working with my students and talking, like it's right there. So nothing gets lost. And I'm like, you know what? I do this professionally. This is what I'm going to start doing for the show. And my daughter saw, she's like, is that highlighter in your book? I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> she's like, what have you done? I'm like, made my job that much easier. <laughs> so everyone who's having a stroke, uh, don't, because who knows? These may, become, these may become giveaways on the show at some point. Dave's copies of the, of the book. So. Yeah, indeed. So we should probably, uh, the cover for this book's quite interesting. Is that... Is that uh, Karn, or is that or the guy? Who's the guy that's in the in the story with? It's Karn uh, in after Deshaya, which is another one that's yeah. picked, really picked out. Um, you know what? I'm not sure. Someone's going to tell me. Oh, of course, this is so and so. But actually, if you look on the back, um, which you might not be able to see quite so well, uh, it looks like oh, no, they certainly are world eaters. So yeah, it could be Karn, I suppose. Well, yeah, because on the inside cover of mine, you get the, the just the black and white version of the back cover. So, yeah, they, but you can see the world eaters on the guy on the um, the first, the largest space marine has got the world eaters logo on his head. Right. Um, but yeah, it's um, he's got Davin written on there as well. By the looks of it. But yeah, um, it's kind of dark and gro- brooding and gloomy, and it's not. It's, I must admit, it's not my favourite. It's, it's it's down there on my list of, of front covers, which, you know... It works. It's still picking from loads of covers I like. So, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's cool. Space Marine armor always confuses me. It just it doesn't seem like you could fit the body in the armor properly and still have that move around. But I'm um, not complaining. Um, That's just me. Um, well, when they made the uh, film... The ill-fated film Ultramarine. <laughs> they did say there, there were yeah there were movements that are impossible in Space Marine armor and things like that. So yeah, it's a uh, it's you know man there were parts of that mo- there were little parts of that I really liked. It's just <laughs> yeah well, that's, that's a topic for a different discussion. Yeah yeah, it's a good comic book um, story that doesn't make a film story. Um, well, I mean, because it was a lot of walking. Like I, I just said, well, you know, don't you got all these vehicles? <laughs> like, to be fair, so was Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that's the thing. They took the, all the walking parts out of Lord of the Rings and said, "Oh, let's just show this." I'm not going to go into it. Let's go into the book, though. Okay. Ooh, so first up, Blood Games by Dan Abnett, the Master. This is great. Now, this one's yours. You got the odd-numbered books. I handed off the majority of them to you. I said, you take the bulk. Yeah, so... Uh, there were seven. You got blood games. Do, I'll try and do a, a job worthy of Dave Whitek. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we've got quite an interesting story with, with blood games as well. This is, uh, you know, non-war. This is what the custodes are up to. But 
uh, yeah, very different. Um, Little Latin in the beginning, quis custodia ipsos custodes. Yeah. Who guards exactly. the guardians, who watches the watchmen. Exactly. Um, and we've got this description of this, this person, you know, it's, it's, it's kept hidden, uh, who's on the blood game. Um, someone who's very patient uh, and observe, uh, obviously very competent. So he's been going for 10 months, uh, starting off planet, coming in. Uh, we know he's, he's had a winter break as well to avoid tails and, and, and hide. Uh, and, you know, those tales might not be anything to do with. The beauty of it is, as you're reading through it, because it's the first is the, just, just a description of where he's been. So, um, yeah. Slovakian fiefs, the Nord reaches, uh, Tyrol, Dolomite shrines, Pit of Venetia. And um, I love. Go, sorry, Karen. I love the, the names of all the places because they would change to some degree over time. I mean, language changes, spelling changes. So they're familiar but different. Like, it's not. I, I remember the first time I read it, and I remember I was showing it to Harrison, and he was younger, and he thought it was a little cheesy that they just changed it up. Ooh, look, it's the future. They spelled it different. I'm like, no, that's that would happen. Yeah, I'm like, you know, spellings change. I mean, look, we came to America and started spelling color and armor right. I mean, you know, it's that's how it happens, you know? So, oh, I got silence on your end. Okay, I got you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and even going back to some of the old names as well. So, you know, they actually brought some of the historical names back in. Yeah. Like that. But, yeah, so we've got this guy and he's um, – so he's obviously trying to evade something, trying to get somewhere, uh, and we, we find out that it's towards the Imperial Palace. So you immediately you're like, oh, what's he up to? Um, and, you know, he's, he, he's extremely competent. We can see that by the fact he's following these trade routes and migrant routes, and no one's found him. And I yeah. say 10 months is a long time. Yeah, and talk about playing the long game. This guy left for 10 months out of the way just to prepare his plans and make sure that nobody knows where he is. Like 10 months just to make sure that he, he shook, he sh- shook, that's not a word, shook any tails. Like, yeah. like almost a year just to make sure that nobody is following him and that he is clear coming in. Yeah, you we know? get more of that as well as we go through the story. But what we do get as we approach near, just near the region of the Imperial Palace, because it is so huge, we get this um, beautiful description of of the Imperium, as we've talked about many times about how it's brute force. The Imperium is not uh, it, it's not a subtle uh, thing is a, a blunt object which is used. Um, how they've removed an entire mountain peak just for material to use. Yes, uh, and you know this is to satisfy the defences that Dawn is insisting are being put in. Um, and we got just yeah, I mean just the whole mountain peak. I mean it's crazy. You're up in the Himalayas anyway. Yeah, you know, and they've levelled mountains and stuff just to make sure the Imperial Palace fits in this place. And then they're doing that, and that's all to make all these, you know, gun emplacements, guards, scanners are put everywhere uh, to the point where there's this massive city outside of the Imperial Palace, which is a huge city in itself, just to get on with all this work. Right. Um, there's, I mean, you know, and it, it, as he's coming back in, you know, they've even got, you know, biometric hundreds times. Multiplied the biometric sensors by a hundred times. Oh, look, the security's tighter, but there's millions of more people here as this is being built. Yeah, which actually, I mean, you look at kind of what's going on in the world, you know, and and you can kind of, 
I mean, it's a completely different scale and everything else, but you, you can see kind of echoes of this happening, particularly over here in Europe um, at the moment. Uh, you can see kind of calls for this kind of thing coming in, and you can understand it. You can appreciate what inside the palace they must be worried about. You know, it's a completely oh, yeah. different circumstance. I'm not going to, you know, not politics, but it's... Right. The <laughs> yeah. Um, Question about this. Um, the, on page 13, he tries to purchase a little uh, little quash. Quash? Yes. yes. So this is where he's got to. That's just another made-up term for a drug, I think. Yeah, and he tries to pick it from these gene stock. Uh, oh. Are these... Now, they said they're gene stock ogres or gene stock... Uh, are these guys grown, or are they are these these ogren things that? Yeah, because I know they have the ogren and the. I've seen the models in the you know on the. Yeah, so the Imperial Guard have had ogrens for years. Okay. In, in fact, they had a special character, Nork, Dead Dog, and uh, a few things like that. And in Necromunda, you can get um, ogren bodyguards for your characters and things like that. Um, yeah, the, these. I Is think, that what these are? I, I mean. Yeah. That, from what I from what I remember, and this is off the top of my head right now, Ratlins come from a world where there's really heavy gravity. That's why they're really short. And Ogrins are a slight mutation that came off. They found, but it was close enough to humanity to be able to use them in war in the true double standards of the Imperium. Um, so I think Genestock Ogres are actually something slightly different from that. Okay. I think Ogrins were originally, um, well, they were, originally human but went somewhere diverged from humanity but not enough to to be put down on site i like he breaks the arm backwards to when they when they go to attack him and the thing doesn't even it just sort of grunts and looks surprised like it's not i mean these things are tough if you i mean you snap its arm the wrong way and the bone breaks and it just go, it kind of grunts like huh and then it just peels the knife out and takes the punch dagger through his skull it's like Oh, these things are tough. Not nearly as tough as he is. Like he dispatches them easily. You're like, okay, well, this yeah, is this, this is the first clue that we are dealing with some super being. Yeah, uh, you know, and probably beyond space marine, but certainly at least at that level. So it's like, all right, okay, yeah, this this guy's yeah. Say so he, he deals with these guys like you know, like nothing. But I actually really like as well the reaction from the character. It's um when they when they turn on him his reaction is like oh i was hoping to avoid this yeah. it wasn't like oh no i'm in trouble it was just like okay right we're gonna have to do it this way which means i'm probably gonna have to change my identity and blah <laughs> right and when the one runs away he's like oh and he's like i like this part he bore the wounded gene stock no special malice but he couldn't let him go then he <laughs> picks up a rock and just whips it at the back of this this thing's head now Okay, I've only seen the models and read a little bit about them, but he threw a rock and hit him hard enough in the back of the head to kill him. It yeah. hit the back of the fleeing ogre's head like a bullet. Yeah, well, it was a space marine. Think well, how hard can punch. Well, yeah, I'm just yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I just I was like, okay. Yeah, for a start, never confuse game terms. With I actually listened to a few Age of podcasts recently talking about um, oh, in game they do in game and in book are two utterly different universes oh i know um, in in book a hundred space marines can take over a planet i mean we've yeah. seen you know it's the, the game actually has to be balanced whereas the books are what they need to be so yeah but you know um, for those old uh, players who when inquisitor first came out which is the 54 mil scale uh, role play war game um 
uh, a space marine could actually throw his bolter and do more damage than by firing his bolter. So, oh, nice. Um, there's quite a precedent <laughs> for this kind of thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're dealing with a thing. I mean, he also ripped the other Ogren's heart out of his chest. But the important thing is he got his resin, he got his cash, uh, which he then goes on to use. So this is um, uh, it's used to stop his body to make him t- uh, dead to all intents and purposes. So he, I mean, he's trying out bits and pieces. But again, he knows exactly what he needs to do. So he's got a very clear understanding. So not only is he a, you know, a, a, a good at hiding, good at fighting, but he's also in clever as well he's yeah. got this understanding of what he's doing not to mention that what he's taking what he needs is an o- is for the ogre is a huge overdose right <laughs> so yeah he's um he's 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 fully aware of his capabilities as well which is cool yeah and he's and he's obviously and he's smart too because he's taking the ex- i mean he's sitting there with these scales and weighing out the exact amount and figuring out the exact amount he needs to basically render him undetectable to a machine that's looking for life, you know, any signs of life in the stuff that's going through. Yeah, I mean, probably probably to any human as well, if they just found him. Right. You know, but yeah, absolutely. He knows exactly what he needs to do. Um, but even then, three days, he goes on take, you know, changing his cover, uh, taking on laboring work in the outer levels of the palace. Um Finally getting a description that he hunches to hide his height, um, which is, you know, when bearing in mind who we're dealing with, actually, is quite a task yeah. to make fit in. Um, but there's lots of lovely details as he passes through the palace. He's going from job to job. We've got a 500-foot artificial ravine uh, you know, within the city, within the, you know, the outskirts of the city, and domes so fast, they vast. They had their home weather systems. And you get this really brilliant kind of, you know, the Imperial Palace is more like a country. Yeah, that, that's the part that got me. I have, this is one of the things I have highlighted. Some of the great domes in the precinct, especially the Hegemon, were so vast, they contained their own miniature weather systems. Microclimate clouds drifted under painted vaults. Rain in the Hegemon was said to be a portent of good fortune. But as far as he knew, it had not rained in the Hegemon for three years. So you get that, like, it's got its own weather system, and rain is good luck. And then they just throw in, but it hasn't rained in three years. So it's yeah. like, oh, okay. It's probably about Eleanor time, I would have thought. Right. You know, roughly, give or take. So, yeah. But, yeah, exactly. It's um, In fact, if, if anyone's interested who hasn't read the Beast of Rises series for 40K, um, it's a series born out of the success of Heresy, but it's a t- limited to a twelve. It's a twelve book series, and it deals with thirty two k. And there's a lot that happens on Terra, uh, political intrigue, but there's lots about the palace and people walking through this stuff. It's absolutely brilliant to read about that kind of stuff. Cool, really good. So yeah, a little side note. And then we get to see uh, there's custodes with the red plumes lurking around in the gloomy halls and shadowed cloisters. Uh, I don't know how you lurk in a bright gold suit of armor when you're seven foot tall. Well, when you're in a place that's got a, that indoors has its own weather system, I suppose you can. Maybe, maybe. You know but, what I'm saying? Amongst these statues and the stuff that's got to be so ostentatious and so ornate and so beautiful that yeah. they blend. 
at that point. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, you could be right. Uh, but but we do get that feeling that they are thoroughly, if not frighteningly, vigilant. Oh, yeah. Uh, these guys are there. They ain't going to miss a trick. Now, you know. I, there's something that popped up in here. And, you, okay, we all know I like Dan Abnett. I've said this plenty of times since I started reading this. And I like his other stuff. I mean, I read his comic books and his non non uh, 40k and 30k stuff but um there you know you know when you read something by an author you like and they throw in a reference from another author and right. it's like hey he he likes someone else that i like you know there's like that little connection you catch there yep. did you catch the connection on here on page 20 when they talked about the great observatory I'm trying to think because you've got different pages. Is that the uh, Library of Lang? The Ooh. Hall of Lang, yes. Did you catch that? Well, it made me think because Lang is a famous um, set of cards for Magic the Gathering. And that was where my mind first went. The Library of Lang is a card in blah, 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 blah. But it's a, it's a, it's a, a Cthulhu. Yes. The, the, well, because it says it was built in this place where Lang used to be, the Great Observatory. The Hall of Ling was his favorite place when he wasn't sequestered there. Uh, it was said that past and future commingled at that site and had done so since primordial times, before the place had owned the name Ling, before his prey had been born, before a roof had been raised above it or human hygiene. The Hall of Ling, long beamed in dark, was simply a domestication of one of the Materium's anomalies, a pulled thread of the fabric of time, a scab on the skin of space. It was yeah. filled with. I'm like, that's the plateau of Lang. That's very, very close to some of the descriptions that H.P. Lovecraft wrote. And it was only in like one or two of his short stories, his early short stories, did he ever mention the plateau of Lang. But it was off in the Himalayas, so it's just like, yeah, literally just hey, if we're gonna have it in the Himalayas. Let's throw this in. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know Dan Abnett's mind. I didn't ask him about this, but I mean, they've mentioned. H.P. Lovecraft stuff has popped up. We've mentioned how it's popped up in here before. Yeah. And Gra Graham is a H.P. Lovecraft fan. I think I knew that. It seems fairly obvious that Dan's had some influence by H.P. Lovecraft. I know uh, Alan and John French, Alan Bly and John French, I believe wrote some books for, H in, in, for the Cthulhu universe. Maybe for fantasy, something to do with one of the fantasy flight games, something like that. See, so for this stuff to pop up in there and just say, well, this place was built there. And then to mention how this is a place that the Emperor hangs out a lot. The, yeah. the, the walls in this place are kind of thin. It always made me wonder if this might be the place that that golden throne was built or the place where, you know, eventually. That was deep. That was deep. Uh, that deep. was very deep down. Okay. But well, um, yeah, but there's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a cool uh, reference, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that, as soon as I hit that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like, I really, hooray! It is really cool. Um, and not long before that, actually, they're talking about the custodies' uh, movements and their watch patterns. And there came up a brilliant description. Um, uh, the, you know, the Guardians, yeah, for, it, Dan uses the term frighteningly vigilant. They were impassive, silent, and they guarded their secrets solemnly. But in their very... Uh, no, it's the wrong bit. <laughs> wrong bit. Okay. They were like visible moons betraying the position of an invisible planet. Bright astral bodies pushed into a certain pattern by the gravitational ministrations of an unseen star. Which yeah. I really love that description of pretty much simply saying by their, by their absence in this area, you can work out that something's there. Yeah. But it was so... 
they're moving around this area and there's nothing else really there, you know exactly what's there because they keep they keep circling it. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I like, yeah, this is real, this is well done. I got the exact same. I have this highlighted as well, the exact same stuff. Absolutely brilliant. And you covered my whole Lang section, so that's fine, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. Um, and then he, 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 you know, his final approach is, is performed under this cloak to shield him. Again, he's been doing the different... Uh, different jobs all at this point it, he knows that it's like no that's they're going to see through disguises now um, but he's got his pouch dagger with his powerful poison using the rest of the Karth resin and um, you know we get a little bit of more detail that his his target is a demigod it's like oh I wonder who he could be after yeah yeah um, but yeah we, we get through all the uh all the sensors and everything else, and here we go. The the indoor have doors. Oh, sorry, the inner doors were heavy and older than the palace. Framed panels of ancient mountain oak, half a meter thick, worn and handmade. None of the angles quite true. He lifted the black iron latch and pushed one of the doors open. Air hushed out of him. It smelled of old cold stone. But that within this big palace, there's still this link back to all the old stuff. Right. And we see that again in another other stories much later on, particularly the the Sigilite, the audio book by Chris Ray, um, audio short. Yes. But so much kind of the detail, again, it's just another highlighting of the detail. Um, but I, I loved it. I thought it was worth mentioning. So forgive me if, if I'm doing too much detail, people out there, but uh, it tickled me. No, I had the same stuff. I have just slightly farther down the page I have it marked when he finally gets in and he's still moving slowly even though he's completely cloaked even though he's all you know hidden he's moving really stealthily really slowly in and then he moves around the column and in the center of the hall's broad open floor his prey was kneeling engrossed turning the pages of a massive massive leather bound codex the codex was open on the stone floor like a spread eagled bird its spine a meter and a half long Beautiful hands slowly turned the pages. They were sculptors' hands, artisans' hands. And I'm just like, oh, this is just so. It just this builds up so well. I was so excited as I'm reading this. And I was trying to remember. All I remembered was that this is one of the favorite short stories. And I was like, oh yeah, I just remember it being really cool. But I think it was. I think it's that writing that really makes it so memorable. Um, well, in, you get though, right inside the palace in his favorite yeah. places in these rooms where it's not just the stuff you see from the outside, the huge yeah. monuments that, that are almost overbearing, like almost too much. Then you get in here and it's still stuff is huge. I mean, the book, I said the spine's at what, a meter and a half? The book's four and a half feet tall. <laughs> yeah. You know, almost five foot tall book. I mean, it's as tall as my wife. And I you know. And it's not like I could remember these details, but I remember the feeling of all these details. Right. Stays with you like, oh, yeah, it really made me kind of looking in behind the curtain at all this stuff. Yeah, and that was really good. But, um, yeah, so this guy's there, and he takes his chance to strike. But he gets intercepted, and a fight starts. Um, so they were ready for him. They knew he was there. But he beats this one guy, which means he's ready to face two more, and he beats both of them. And... In trying to escape, finds himself face to face with fully armored custodies outside the door. So, you know, but the fact he's already beaten three people who are obviously around to protect this guy tells you you're dealing with someone who's pretty, 
pretty hard. Right. He's good. But eventually uh, he gets taken to the cell. So he wakes up in this cell, which is extremely primitive again, in contrast to the rest of the um, thing. You've got, you've got, the, uh, you know, you've got the, the, the fingernails kind of, you're going back to a proper cell as it were. Right. Um, so the, the whole thing's not, you know, if you know you're in somewhere quite dark, that probably people have rotted away in here kind of thing. Yeah, um, and he's in there for a full night and a day, and the, the door opens, and I just love this part because, you know, const- the guy enters, and he's just wearing simple monastic robe of dark brown wool over a ba- black body glove, leans his huge back against the cell wall, folds his mighty arms and regards the person... Trust you, Alman, he says. Trust you to get closer than anyone else. You can almost see the smile on his face, like, you know, seriously. Yeah, Yeah. so the game's up here, you know. it's. I mean, I think most people were aware by the title, Blood Games, that it isn't going to be straightforward like that. But we get this description then of Amon Taromachion, a first circle custodian. And again, a great bit of description about how custodians have their name written all through their armor and it just keeps getting added to and added to and added to um and his last would be leng in honor of his achievements in the blood games yeah leng is going to get added to it yeah so it's um yeah and and this they're all in the armor and constantine valdor has 1932 elements to his name so good luck trying to control his soul um yeah Is that's not going to happen, is it? Nineteen hundred and thirty, and just and it says, you know, this guy is functionally immortal. I mean, it says right there, violent. What was it? Violent, uh, violent death, notwithstanding. Yeah. You know, it would, it would, uh, yeah, violent obliteration, notwithstanding. <laughs> they lived long lives, you know. I mean, but just to to, I mean, they only add bits to your name when you do stuff that merits getting a bit added. Yeah, which isn't just. You know, the it's, average Joe for these guys. Yeah. So 1932. This guy's name is longer than Treebeard's true name. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's it's just fantastic. So Yeah, we get this description that actually up to uh, at least half the custodies were out on a blood games. Uh, and then we get some briefings. That's a lot. You know, they were taking this seriously. Uh-huh. Uh, Procure managed to get to, into the hegemon. Um, who was like one of the best before him, and uh, and we also find out that actually the emperor who was the target, he knew Amon was there, and he just allowed the others to intercept. Yeah, I wonder if I caused offense. I raised my hand against him, and he's like, he forgives you. Besides, you wouldn't have heard him. My blow was well. Even if it hadn't been, he would have stopped you. It's just like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. knew I was there. He won't tell me how long he knew. He wanted to see how long it would take the rest of us to notice you. So it's like it, there's no way this guy could have heard him. Even at the last second, he could have stopped you. Like if we hadn't have stopped you. And I love that. It was a test not only for him but for them. Like if he'd have gotten close enough where he could, where I had to stop him. Well, that's no, it, it is the test for the defenders. Right, yeah. It's purely the test for the defenders. But, yeah, you are right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but even to that nth degree – it was still a test to, for the defenders, yeah. But, which is really good, which is really cool. But I, lo- I love how he's worried that he offended him. Like, even though <laughs> I'm, I'm supposed to try to get in there and try to kill him, like I, I know I can't, but I'm supposed to at least try my best. 
but I never. It's almost like in his. I think in his own dreams, he never imagined that he would get that far. No, really, yeah. There's almost a part of him that's like, uh, do I have to go through with this? Yeah, or? like holy crap! Like, <laughs> and so he gets that far. He actually pulled the knife on him, and now he's like, I pulled the knife on on the emperor. Like, oh boy! Like, I, <laughs> I hope he's not mad at me. Like, no, 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 dude. You could, dude. You couldn't have heard. It. <laughs> I love his friends. Like, dude, you, dude, come on. You could, it's, you know. Yeah. That's like if the little, you know, if you're playing with your child and the child, you know, you're playing games and the kid accidentally, you know, s- mad. Yeah. Yeah. Gets a little slapping on you. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I, dude, don't worry about it. You know, like, there was no chance you were going to harm me. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, we do again get a nice description of the custodies in terms of they are larger, more powerful than space marines. Um, there's less of a bond between them, they're more individualistic. Uh, you know, they put on their own armor rather than having serfs do it. You know, they're much more pragmatic, um, and they definitely live to a different style that the Legions Astartes do. And yeah. that you see later on when you get to a particularly first heretic, you see that looked at from the other viewpoint as well. But yeah, it's it's always good to remember the custodies are not space marines. Right, yeah, the whole yeah, they got the whole part here just underlined. They are not like them at all. Like cousins, kin from the same bloodline, similar but distinct, you know, larger, more powerful. Um no one would be foolish enough to predict the outcome of a contest between the Astartes and Custodes. You get to see them later on in First Heretic in in uh, multiple formats as well, which is quite cool. Um but also, I mean, even down to the point like uh, Valdor considered he knew the War Master well. I mean, how many, even the Mournival, wouldn't presume to do that? Right. You know, they don't. They they might kind of have this backlog of oh, he normally reacts like this, but I don't think any of them consider to know him well. Maybe, you know, um, uh, Abaddon might because that's Abaddon's kind of ego. But I don't think they would. Um, but it shows that the custodies. Uh, they don't view the Primarchs the way the Astartes do because they're not Astartes. They don't, and you know there isn't that father-son bond either. But right, There's, it's just so different. This whole conversation's great. First, it starts off, and I like even before that how they don't they don't surround themselves with slaves and servitors, and if they dress themselves, yeah. they're very they're very you know they just well they might have to you know they cannot they rely on themselves. They yeah. are one man uh, one man army. Yeah, and uh, but even when they're talking about. Rogel Dorn. It's just like they don't. It's there's no disrespect in their voice, but there's nothing in their voice like the awe or the respect that you hear in every like, other book. Yeah, it's like having a company, right? So your big boss is the emperor, and he works at the HQ, and then the next one below him is the big boss of the satellite office, and then but the people who work directly under the first boss. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I understand that you're important, but we work for the main man. Exactly, and it's just it's such a weird shift. When I read this the first time, though, because like when Dorn shows up in uh, at the end of you know Flight of the Eisenstein, he's kind of he's kind of scary. He's kind of terrifying. You know, when these guys show up, um, you know, I I, I mean, I remember when we talked about in the first trilogy. You know, the first three books. I'm like, you know, you see when Horus pops in, like that. 
even the way he's written, that sort of magnetism that he has, that that ability to sway people. Um, it's just, I mean, you know, I talked about I probably would have fallen. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know that I could have said no to a guy like that. And these guys are just like, look at Dorn. You know, he's prepping for war. Oh, it's not like that. You know, they're talking about Horace is sick in the head, you know. And then the part that I really like, after they talk about that saying something's wrong with him, uh, something's happened that cannot be explained by the scheme of the galaxy as we have come to understand it, which I thought was a great line. Like something is, there's something going on here that we don't even get. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, yeah. There's that, that bit of that insight here. They're not. They're not going to say. You know, there's something the emperor is not telling us. But no, there's yeah. something that. Yeah, but there's something the emperor is not telling them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they wouldn't even think that though. Right. Uh, uh, and yeah, we've got this. Uh, not only that, I actually want to point out later on that actually there are some brilliant scenes between Valdor and Dawn later on where they don't agree. Um, and you see even more how different they are. Right. Uh, but yeah, you got this... Yeah, they're having this discussion like, Horace must be sick in the head. Something must be up. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter why. We've just got to stop him. Yeah. That's their view. And it's like... it's And it's not even, oh, it's Horace. It's not. It's like... Someone's a threat to the Emperor. Our job is to stop them. Simple yeah. as that. Doesn't matter who it is. I don't care who crosses the Emperor's path. They ain't getting to him. Which is, is yeah, which is a complete 180 from every other instance of people talking about Horus as a threat to the Emperor. Like every other place you hear it, whispers of Horus might be coming to a planet. The planet like gives up. People start kill- committing suicide rather than having him show up. And subjugate the planet. Like, that's how terrified they are of him. And they're just like, there's something wrong with him. He needs to be stopped. Like, it's, it's there's, this is the first time I remember seeing anything like this in yeah. these readings or anything like this. Like, there's some there's someone who's just not afraid of him. Yeah. Yeah. There was no point. <laughs> yeah. But then they are the last line, as they say. Um, it was every skill, the skill of the artist, defense and protect, uh, protection. At this, the imperial fists excel, but we remain the last line, said Amon. We do. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool. And they go from there. Uh, we, we finally move on. I couldn't, it was, I honestly thought this second part was quicker than it was, but we get uh, going into the watchtower and, and they're looking at everything on the whole planet. Right. Because not only have we got these uh, threats from outside terror, Actually, there are still parts of terror which are begrudgingly working under this new regime. We've got terrorist separatist groups operating across the globe, um, which is a good reason why the blood games might be going on, because these blood games have been going on well before Horace turned. Right. So these have been going on a long time. So, yeah, there needs to be a reason. Why are these going on? Is it just to protect the emperor or are there already threats? And yes, you know, there's people, as we say, these these groups that don't particularly um, like the emperor, um, and these code custodians are there. They don't miss a thing. Every hour, they identify the top threats. To, yeah, sort of, which is is quite um, yeah makes me think of a few films, kind of those. You know, the uh, the futuristic uh, where the cops are on top of everything and government's all in control right everything's being monitored everything's being watched and it and it is i I actually forgot this second half of the of the story 
I mean, just because the first half put such an impression on you. I forgot that once he was caught, he got sent out on this mission. Um, yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, I thought it was quicker than it was, as I say. But, but it's actually almost as long. It's we're getting in my book. It's jumping. It's about thirty-five page. Well, no, it actually starts on page ten and goes to thirty-five. So that's twenty-five pages, and then there's another twenty, tw- yeah. almost twenty. Yeah, so it's about half. It's about half. So it's almost just as long as the first half there. Um, but so now they've got to stop the Lord of High Brazil, who has been trafficking intelligence between Terra and Horus. Yeah, Lord Sikar. Um, so this is, you know, 200 years after the Great Crusade started-ish. The, the, yeah, these are still wounds from the Unification Wars. Yeah, his That's family in this, this country, this place, they're... Yeah, and he's always managed to kind of just stay the right side of the line, like to be warned a couple of times, but never to stick his neck out too far. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, and, and obviously to be in that position, you have to be uh, kind of a, a politician of some you know, a, ability within itself anyway. Um, but we've got uh, Amon's coming in to, to find out what's going on. We've got a sister of silence posted there. Uh, Reading from that, I suspect we might have Sisters of Silence just dotted around various parts of the palace, just as a bit of protection. Probably. So for those who don't know, Sisters of Silence are psychic blanks. So they, they kind of absorb the psychic uh, powers and the, 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 the nature of the warp within a certain area. Uh, so it's a great form of defense. Um, and we have, again, here we have the outlined the issues of a, a powerful anti-unionist um, Terran with, he's got vast resources, uh, but he's potentially sided with Horus because they've got these, you know, transcripts that they can't quite read um, with the Bouton group. But yeah, there's, so they've got this belief that he's, um, he's working with the Horus, but no proof yet. So this is what they're going to go find out. There's this yep. guy's. This guy's. This guy's. This guy's danced the line long enough. Yeah, and now they. They now they've got a very strong belief that actually he's going. Really, is going further than that. So they send uh, Elod Gult, a negotiator, down there. Um, was it exploratory talks with representatives of several albedo mining conglomes? So this is all very, you know, it's all traditional kind of you can imagine this in a film oh yeah we're just going to do this and then james bond sneaks off to do other things um <laughs> yep he's pretty much is it and we've got um amon and hado acting as bodyguards and pilot and servitor that are you know they're, they're all in the roles as a support team as well and we got um, a lucifer black shows yes. up which once here, I was like, "Oh, okay." It's a loser. Now, having read farther into the series, I was like, "Oh, th- these guys are actually really impressive." Like, yeah, they are. Um, and again, they appear later stories post heresy as well. Maybe not the same, but the name Lucifer Black still means a lot. So it's continued on, um, and then they we kind of we get the uh, the description of their ploy, which is. 16,000 chopstick-sized probes emerging from the ship to uh, worm their way into the data feed to mine information. Yep, they're uh, hacking se- the system. Uh, 16,000 seems a lot to not be picked up it's by surveillance tech or something. 
Uh, hey, countermeasures. I don't know, man. You know, they hey, they rerouted the encryption codes. They hacked the nanobytes. Uh, you know, whatever. Sixteen thousand probes into a system seems yeah. like a lot. <laughs> but for someone not to go, hmm, we found a lot. We found ten probes recently. <laughs> you know, tens a lot. We found a thousand probes recently. No, that's you know. the point. Is that they're so technologically beyond what they even have that they're not going to even find one that's they, how awesome but they did find some because some well, get, did, yeah, cause. some get stopped and some don't work quite so well and everything else um you know and the servitors like uh yeah the um the the the, the guys are they're in these chats with these people with wooden-like bodies and porcelain faces and hands that seem lifelike as, as working as their servitors, which is quite freaky. I yeah. found that a bit weird. Yeah, that's a little, yeah. The, the whole servitor thing just kind of is a strange thing in my mind in general. It's, I get what it is. It's just such a, you know, uh, okay, let's take uh, a sidetrack here. Great, real talk. The whole idea of taking I mean, what they take criminals or people who are, you know, going to get life in prison or people who are going to criminals. Aren't they? Well, um, I if mean, you've, if, you're, if you're powerful enough and you don't like someone, you can make them disappear, can't you? Yeah, and then the just well, you know, we're not going to waste this perfectly good brain. We're just going to take it and stick it in here, and and it's it's also seen as a form of punishment in and of itself, right? So, You've done a crime so bad that you're just going to get put into a servitor body, so you could at least be of some use to humanity. Exactly. It's it, and it it's 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 wow. It just seems amazingly inhumane and and crazy. And I mean, just death seems almost preferable. I guess like this is one of the few things that you know they talk about how ruthless and just how the you know in the in the grim darkness of the fu- like how it just like grinds up people by you know the. The humanity is so large, and just the billions that die every day, and th- like the servitor, just the concept of the servitor is always just sort of stuck in the back of my head as something that's just over the it's, top, as just like wow. It speaks a lot to something that I want to try and do on the Imperial Truth. Actually, is have a discussion about the Emperor, because a lot of people say a lot of different things about the Emperor, and there's a lot of um, kind of ideas thrown around, and a lot of people really think that he's useless uh, and stuff like this. But that certainly. It appears that the emperor is ruthless to the point humanity will survive. For humanity to survive, some humans must survive. Now that will mean some have to die. And the servitor is almost like a, a real kind of, you know, snapshot of that ethic. And it's like, well, yes, you will be put into this robot because humanity must survive. And humanity is not seven billion people. It's however many you know, or you know how many billion people there are in the thing. It, it, it's well, like, yeah, and at this point, what they're on? How many? I mean, what are we? Thousands, yeah. if not a million planets. I mean, it, it, if someone turned around to the emperor and said, "Your plan will succeed if you take fifty percent casualties," he'll be like, "Succeed, awesome, done." Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. That, and it's simple that as simple as that. It's it's like when we're playing war games and we're like, "Yeah, I'm going to throw this unit up here to die," and it's yeah, that is the approach of the whole Imperium, really. Uh, it's the price paid for for the for the human race to keep going. But yes, you are absolutely right. It's freaky. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that always just sort of struck me as it's it 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 sticks out because you know 
say what you will about the emperor, the imperium, and it's you know it's, it's the last defense against the darkness, and you know, you know, there's you know, the chaos is coming through. Life sucks. You're probably going to get eaten by tyranids. Goodbye. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, the, the, of all that stuff, the servitors are the things that creep me out, and I know that's a weird thing. Yeah, that's, that's my thing. That's like that's the one. It's like wow, they they just. Okay, I mean, and I'm sorry. I know I sidetracked us, but that's just like okay. It's all good. It's all good. So yeah, it was um, it was actually Lord Psyker's brother that had the Lucifer Black as his um, so uh, Tolum Psyker, uh, or was it uh, a few minutes conversation with him assured Amon that Tolum Psyker was a superficial dolt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he did surround himself with competent stars, so Lucifer Black. I wonder if Dan just wanted to reuse him. Um, but the fact the fact he's got one is a show of the power and wealth of the family. Right. Uh, we see that. But we become aware that uh, you know, Ibon Norn has started to realise that there's a displacer field in play. And, uh, and then these talks again are all the cover. We've all seen the films. So uh, we've got Amon thinking about the defences uh, he has seen, right, which is a nice detailing of terror preparing for war. Um, again, we get into that whole kind of view of what's going on around the thing, um, and then we get the alert put out, and Amon's moved to a suite in the tower with the high Brazil forces review a breach of data confidence. So these sixteen thousand flipping, and they found yeah. <laughs> the, the, okay, now the the probes have found four transmissions with the vengeful spirit. Yeah, and so that's enough. They move now. I I I made a little mark on here, and I was like, okay, uh, so basically they broke the law to prove that they were breaking the law. Like you know, they they basically did the illegal wiretap to yeah. find their stuff, which is like stuff that we debate about whether it's you know ethical or legal today. So this is basically the way the empire operates. And this is another thing you brought up. Is you know, is this. Is this, this I, do I know? Is this this is how the empire operates? You know, it's a and I don't want to say for the greater good because that's the Tao's thing, but it's like, hey, listen, if you around at the moment, it's fine. But you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, it's um, any price is worth the uh, the result. Right. Hey, listen, for, we for we're the, yeah. The emperor's plan is the emp- that is that is the be all and end all, and anything that might be getting in its way has no rights anymore like yeah, absolutely and and that's that's basically the way it works and you know if you don't like it then you can become a servitor i guess yeah it is that yeah there is one way to do things uh, and it will be done that way whether you're in the way or not but yeah it's um it's the nature of the beast we're dealing with here and yeah this i mean this all happens at roughly the same time which allows them to beam in their arms and armor um so hopefully being able to take it down from the inside. And this is where Ibn Norn turns up and they've all come out. It's like, oh, um, they jump out the window. Right. Um, excuse me. What's a falsehood? A falsehood? A lie. No, but I mean, no, in here, they, I, I had it written down here. They were, they were wearing falsehoods. Uh, which part? I, haven't I, I don't have it. I have it on a post-it note in here. Are you sure it's just not a typo and they meant falsehoods as in they were wearing lies? Oh, I, made, I mean, I made it almost sound like they were invisible. Like, that's why I asked if they were invisible in this part. Throwing aside their falsehoods. So, um, 
Yeah, they well they had those cloaks on them again, didn't they? Right. So that's so. I mean, are are they like in? Are they like invisible things like you see in the movies where it just sort of, you know, they, they can't be seen at all? It replicates them? Or is this something that makes them look like something else? I'm just, I'm just wondering if there's something in this case, that I don't know. In this case, uh, Amon walked straight up past the guy who was, uh, was kind of ordering stuff around, wasn't he? Right. So, he, yeah, yeah. This time they walked through the middle of everyone, straight through the main door. So, yeah, they couldn't, for whatever reason, whether it was a a form of invisibility or a form of camouflage they they their presences were cloaked okay so yeah so, yeah and then they threw them aside so i, I just didn't know if that was something that was common that i don't know because i'm i'm i play with, with i play with sig marines and not space marines and they were like 30 meters from sidecar when they when they kind of got rid of them so maybe if they got closer to people with uh, more appropriate equipment or better training they would have noticed something was up right uh, but, you know, we're dealing with technology in 30, 30K, which is higher than 40K, particularly these are the custodies. So if if there's a new bit of technology that's awesome, yeah. they've probably got it. Um, I love when, when Sycar starts yelling at them. This is inexcusable. I will get. I will demand a full apology from your master. And he's yelling at me. He goes, he's your master too. And he's like, I, I, <laughs> what? Like he just like totally stopped him cold. Like, what? What? He's your master too. Like the way he phrased it, just proved to them even more that this guy was on the wrong side. And it was just so funny that the way he said it, and it was just like he's sputtering, he's indignant, he's angry, and this guy comes at him from left field with this statement, and he just stop. Wait, what? Like, yeah. What? What are you? What? I, yeah. I thought it was great because it just brought that tirade from this guy to a grinding halt. Confused him. I just I loved how that part was written. Yeah, and I also love the fact that the Lucifer Black doesn't draw his weapon. <laughs> it was like, there's just no point. <laughs> nope. Nope. I know my limits, <laughs> and there might be a way out of this. Um, and that way out comes in the form of, potentially, um, these these teleport beams and six imperial fists teleporting in between them. Yep, the fla- I, I thought there was a flash bomb happening here. I'm like, oh gosh, they're pulling a Batman. They're going to disappear, and it's like, nope. Rogel yeah, Dorn shows up. Yeah, and then again, the custodians are like, he's coming with us. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, my lord, Amon said, please stand aside. I'm half tempted to let you attempt to go through me, said Dorn. I would, of course, hurt you both. You would try, replied Hideo, my lord. I love. <laughs> I just it's like. God, the, the 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 cojones on both of these <laughs> just like ain't nobody backing down don't you know you could go after him i'm tempted i'm tempted to let you try i'd have to hurt you you could try yeah it's like, it oh the the peeing contest that is happening right here is just fantastic and and at the end of the day they both got um essentially their task is the same but they have very different jobs to do within that task yeah and very different ways of going about it so they are both trying to do the same job um yeah and and they keep seeming to get on each other's in each other's way doing it as well uh, which is quite funny as we go through the books uh but eventually yeah dawn reveals that psycho is a spy for the imperium but, uh, yeah on our side yeah and now he's compromised uh, and now he's a dead man because there's no way horace isn't going to find out about this uh, yeah so they need to kind of um, 
play the blood game with it and just you know consider it a blood game. That's uh, a great. I like that. <laughs> now we've now we've figured out where where the weakness is here. We need to communicate with one another. Yeah. Well, isn't that like in every like cop movie? Ever, yeah. you know, right. the FBI does not talk to the CIA, does not talk to the local cops, does not talk to the state police. That just doesn't, ha- you know, it doesn't happen. I don't know what the equivalents are in England. I just know what I know. There's MI6. That's all I know. Because um, that's you know, the only one you're supposed to know. About. <laughs> exactly. I've seen James Bond. That's about all I know. Um, but. Yeah, this was just great. And it's so funny because, once again, and I keep going back to it, but here Dorn teleports in, and rather than Dorn showing up and everybody being terrified and him punching the guy across the room who talks back to him, here Dorn shows up and is like, I might have to hurt you. And the guy's looking at him and goes, yeah, okay, you want you, you think you're tough enough. Yeah, this, like, is, this is Dorn in his environment. Where we saw Dorn punching uh, Garrow across the room that was very much Dawn's world being turned inside out and he's got no coping mechanism this is Dawn in his element just being like yeah okay right well, and, I, and, I, and I've seen in other stories later you know Dawn just threatening and angry with people I think it was in one of the audio books talking to Garrow and being like you know what and I've seen him not just lose his temper but I'm saying yeah, yeah. When, 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 when Primarchs have shown up before it's just another example of Primarchs show up and you're afraid, and you should be afraid, you know. Even space marines are afraid, you know. <laughs> you know, and here they show up, and the guy's like, "Okay, um, yeah, you need to step aside." Like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen in any of these books someone tell one of the primarchs to step aside. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and what he's like, uh, you know, this, yeah, it's just it's, uh, it's this is all sorts of good. This is all sorts of fantastic. Yeah, um, and then we cut to uh, Chef escaping on an ice raker with Amon in desperate chase. So this is the Lucifer Black had actually been replaced by an agent, the Warmaster, who now hearing that Psycho was a double agent, he's blown up the building and escaped, and he's got another bomb going off, and uh, yeah, Amon's chasing after him with his jump pack, uh, killing him, only finding a third bomb. So... Uh, stopping the final bombing run on the reactors that would destroy the Planalto and spread fear and terror through terror. So he's done the final job as well. You get that little bit kind of, oh, yeah, it's all finished. Oh, no, he's got the little final bit. Um, But he does it. He, he, I like the way, so he tears off his own teleport activator, throws it into the raker, jumping clear, um, and tumbles to the rest after... Watching the uh, the raker blow up yeah. two kilometers up in the sky, so yeah, it's classic big ending to a kind of we've got this moment left in the budget. Let's use it. <laughs> yep, cool. we're gonna have a big explosion. Yeah, and then the final little pieces we we actually had. There was a couple of moments in there where they talked about the wolves and the dogs uh, and the Himalayas and things like that. So this nice allegory about the hound fighting off the wolf at the palace. Yep. Uh, and more wolves are coming. Yeah. Thing to come, which is, uh, when you think about it, with the space wolves, with the uh, war hounds, the, um, the world eaters, and the lunar wolves, there's a lot of wolf analogies through the books. And it can get a bit confusing sometimes when they're mentioned quite so much. No, this was, this was, this was a great story. This was really good. It was a nice setup. Um, 
you know, you've got your 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 story of heresy. Um, starts off looking like you, you know, at the beginning of the story. Okay, who's coming at him? Okay, now you got this guy coming at him. He's not it. Now this guy. Um, what I liked about this story is the paranoia, constantly thinking that someone else is the traitor, someone else is the heretic, someone else is the guy. To see what Horus has sort of done to the people in the palace. Yeah, and and yeah, this would be going on around the Imperium as well. And that's the beauty of the short stories. No, some people aren't massive fans on them, the quantity we've had and the release schedules and things like that. But the short stories in particular allow us to see aspects that don't fit into a book or aren't a book in themselves. Yep. And you get a glimpse here of like this is what's going on on Terra and at various points we get this is going on with the people, the real people. You know, these are, yeah, later on we get to Liar's Jew and things like that. I think it's Liar's Jew. And we get, you know, actual people on a planet kind of like dealing with the war. And it's always a good reminder of actually it's not just Horus and eight other Primarchs went, oh, we're going to go kill the Emperor. It's, you know, it was caused all kinds of issues and there was so many things involved with it. It's really good. Yep. Really, and always good to see the custodians as well. Yeah, this yeah this worked on pretty much every level. This this was such a good story, um, and it deserves the, all the praise that it that it got. I remember before I read it, everyone's like, "Oh, that you know." That was the one thing I read. People, it was a shame that the first story in the book's the best story in the book. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's great, but there's other stuff in here that I really love too. I think, I think it's stuck out about. I think if you talk to people now, I've heard people say after Tishaya is the greatest story from this book. And uh, a lot of people still rate the last church as being very high. And to be fair, the other—it's not like the other stories are, are awful. Um, they're you know, they're good. The voice, particularly, um, but yeah. On the second reading, going back now and just seeing the the different approaches to where the heresy, with the finger quotes, is coming from. Um, the. You know, it's like I said, this book is full of that 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 paranoia, and with just to see how things have broken on those minor levels. It's not like you said; it's not just on the big level. It's not just a war between space marines. This this has reached down to every single stratum of the society. Yeah, and we well, and we we've seen even beyond that, like. Um, yeah, it affects every human. And there is some, we'll talk later on, some people are actually like, I don't care, it doesn't bother me. I'm just going to carry on on my planet feeding the war machine, whichever war machine it is. But some, you know, but in these cases, the terror, the fear, um, all those aspects, but also all the other alien races. We've seen the Cabal. We get to see aspects of the Eldar with Fulgrim who are like, oh, dudes, seriously, this is not just you guys having a fight. This is... This is bigger than that. This is huge. Right. We need to kind of deal with it. Yeah. It, it, this, this single event tore the galaxy apart. Um, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, the stuff, like you said, yeah, it, both in, in Legion and in Fulgrim, you get to see that and uh, on, on, the, on the galactic scale. And here now they're bringing it down to the to the almost the neighborhood scale to see yep. how much it's affecting individual people it's really it's really great um, yep. why don't we take a quick break um, throw in a little musical interlude or something and then we come back with Wolf at the Door sounds good alright 
And uh, we're back to talk about Wolf at the Door. Yes, we are. All right. So, um, Space Wolves. Um, and I know this one is one of your favorites. Well, because it's um, the Space Wolves. I like it. Um, I mean, a quick note. Again, I've talked before about the Space Wolves change. This is very much, um, we're not far off Thousand Suns. Prospero Burns, Thousand Suns. Thousand Suns, um, and Prospero Burns is a little bit after that, right? But we do, you do see the change there. So this is very much still the um, f- more forty k ish Space Wolves than the ones we then progress into. But it's still good. I still enjoy it. These are way better than um, Battle for the Abyss Space Wolves. No comment. <laughs> You didn't think so? No, no, I just don't want no. to get into battle the, for the abysmal thing again. I'm not I'm not I'm not making fun of it, but they were those were just like, you know, the 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 hard drinking space viking, you that know. Very caricatured. Yes. Right. Um here we've got you know, uh it, it's a, a good intro. I like the intro, you know, they're coming in. So, my first thing is Mike Lee throws us right in just like Abnet does. Yeah, the in media race. Just, You're now comfortable with that kind of, because you've had issues with that in the past, haven't you? Yeah. No, I mean, well, it, it was hard when I didn't know anything about, I don't mind being thrown into the middle of stuff. I mean, they do it in movies, they do it in books. I don't have a problem with it. I had trouble with it with these books because I knew nothing about anything when I started reading it. I mean, when you start out there, I was there the day Horus killed the emperor, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, we've had that conversation. <laughs> As a person who was just told, hey, you need to read this. It's really good. Knowing what little I knew about 40K, Dan Abnett, I mean, when, you know, it, it was, you know, he was playing with people who knew the world. You know what I'm saying? So people who came in not knowing the world, this threw me for a tailspin, you know? You knew just enough to make it dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it was just enough to make me scratch my head and say, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so they come in and all this fighting's going on. They've put down the tyrants of Kernunos. Um, yeah, this is um, quick note. Um, the Elysian mountain range. Uh, there are Forge World make the range of Elysian drop troops. Okay. So I, I can only presume that they're, they're, there's a link there. I don't know how many Elysians uh, there are around the galaxy, but it's quite a nice little... A little, oh, so no. after they've pacified this planet, they... Well, 10,000 years on, the Elysian drop troops are a, a force that you can play. Um, oh, cool. So they're pacifying a planet that later becomes a playable troop, or you know, at, at some yeah. point in history, possibly. Oh, okay, cool. I did not know that. Um, so they're hiding within this, and it's like their ultimate you know, you know, fortress that they're hiding in. And the Space Wolves are there. They're, oh, oh, okay, sorry. The Sixth Legion is there. You know. Yes. Uh, the, the Rout or the Volca Fenricia, as they become known. Right. Um, and now we'll get in there and... Oh, yeah. I uh, should say as well, this is the 13th company of the Sixth Legion. So, again, for people who don't know, that means nothing. For people who do know, it's like, ooh... Keep an eye on these guys. Okay, fill me in. I um, don't want to go too far, um, but 
uh, they are set a task, uh, the 13th company, and anyone who's, who's played 40K will know that um, they have appeared again in in the 40K law, uh, particularly the Eye of Terror, which got retconned. And uh, actually now, I haven't read the Wolfen stuff that's in 40K, the new Wolfen army list and, and background, but uh, I would presume that that's an, an effect of 13th Company because they even made 13th Company uh, models during the Eye of Terror campaign, which I was a staff member at the time, so I bought 30, I think. Okay. I'm at £8 a model uh, a few years ago. I probably could have waited and got a lot more, but yeah. So the 13th Company are quite pivotal post-Prospero. Uh, pivotal, but they've got their, their, they have a mythology about them, particularly. Um, yeah, so it was, it was good to kind of, ooh, ooh, this is the first we've seen of the 13th Company. You know, every, every Legion's got uh, a specific, like, area of them that is, is more famous than the others. So. Like the, the, the Imperial Fists have the Templars, who go on to be the Black Templars and all that. Okay. Sigismund, who, who goes on to form the Black Templars after scouring, things like that. So, yeah, it's cool. All right. So they go and they land. Of course, you know the, the, now the drop. You know the ships land on the mountain. Um, you know it, this. This is the end. They've pacified everything. The the leaders who are the last to give up have locked themselves away in here. You know, and it, you got the transport landing. The ramp drops. The guys are walking off the ship. It's all you know. It's the movie. You know, this is the you know the emperor. Is, the emperor is coming to the Death Star to tell you that you know to do the final preparation check. So you've got the guy in charge coming. Um, it's his name is uh, Bullfy, yep. which which is great. Um, <laughs> um yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot here as well as a spatial fan, as a as a, a heresy fan, as a 40k fan. Um, I like the fact we've got um. Uh, Jürgen's a uh, a guy from Fenris who shaves his beard to the Terran fashion. So he's someone who takes you know almost all the time we hear about the Terrans adapting to the to whichever planet they come from and fitting into their legion with their Primarch. Right. But this is someone kind of going the other way, which is kind of cool. That was interesting. I like Bullfight because um, if you read any uh, literature where they try to take Beowulf. Right. And take the Beowulf story and either modernize it or turn him into more of a Viking stuff. Um, that's always the name they give to Beowulf. In fact, um, in the, in the, did you see the 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas? I need to watch that film again because I love it. That was the Beowulf story with Antonio Banderas. Their leader was Bullfy. Yeah, the Spanish man, yeah. So, yeah, so they're, the, the, it's basically, it, 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 sure. literature wise, you get Beowulf, the guy who can beat and stand up against any odds. Beat so that, any task. There's a hint for you for the story ahead. Right. Yeah, um, and we also get um, a little bit into the, the background. So uh, the 13th Company, not only are they different post-heresy, they're also different pre-heresy. These are, um, these are the followers of uh, the Rus, Lehman, king of the Rus. So this was uh, obviously Lehman before he was found, uh, was king of, of the Rus, which must have been a huge tribe. And these were his followers, the 13th Company particularly, um, and they accepted the uh, all the trials to become a space marine. This was they, really cool. I like this. So they were they were too old. You know, we've talked about it before. It's that kind of pre-teen, early teen. You're actually kind of you know, eight to like fourteen or whatever. You know, some disputes about how old you are. Right. But actually, it looks like 
you can be quite old and become a full space marine. It's just that only one in however many are actually going to survive it. Yeah, they said when the Emperor showed up, it was hundreds of the Russ's closest trides. Almost 40 made it yeah. out of hundreds of them. And, and he was impressed that 40, almost 40 of them made it. Like they didn't expect any of them to make it. And you think you had hundreds, and they didn't say thousands, so let's say 500, you know, somewhere between 100 and 1,000. So 40, so less than 10% yeah. made it. But that's, you know, it, he was impressed because they expected 0%. Yes, and we've got, um, so they, yeah. They, they so these guys are hardcore. Like, they're, yeah. they're our age, well, my age, you're younger than me, but well, these guys uh, are my age. Here's the thing, right? So these are the gray beards, or they refer to themselves as the Wolf Brothers. However, okay, so they were old, too old to become Space Marines normally uh, when Lehman was found. Lehman was the second Primarch found. Now, we don't have a specific dates for all the Primarchs, but um, I think Horus was reunited three years into the Great Crusade. Um, say there's a big gap. The Great Crusade was like 197 or 204 or something, around 200 years, circa 200 years. Um, say they found Lehman Russ 50 years into the heresy. So that means they were... And I think it goes on somewhere to talk about their age, that they fought with him for, here we go, actually I'll cut down to now, Bulvai and Jürgen had fought together for almost 300 years. The heresy broke out 190 odd years, blah, 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 blah. Um, how old were they get? I think there's an error in there, in their time thing. I think 300's a bit, doesn't add up. Okay. So just in case people came up with it, I'll try to find an answer. It doesn't quite seem to add up. I think we can just assume that they were, yeah, 30, 40, whatever, old men on Fenris. Um, and they've then carried on to fight with Lehman Russ. Because this is, this is we find out right at the end that this is just pre-Prospero. Okay. So they can't have been 100, surely, when they were found. Maybe they could, but that doesn't seem right. You know, for human, even for for a genetic strain of humans on Fenris. Fenris is a hard place where people die all the time. Ice and fire. But yeah, so um, yeah, I think there's most disparity along the line somewhere there. But yeah, anyway, so it's, a, it's another a deep kind of look into something that isn't the story. Um, but yeah, they're cool. They're cool. They're, these guys are tough. And they are um, friends yeah. of Lehman, King yeah. of the Roots. And we've got the 13 Wolf Brothers are here, you know, the Greybeards, like you called them. Uh, so these doors open, the companions come out. This surrender ceremony is interesting. Um, they all start coming out with all this stuff. Um, you know, they ask him, where's your commander? He's with the ancestors. He shot himself this morning after the surrender terms were accepted. Um, then the slaves come out carrying all this stuff. Then the daughters and the wives come out and they're crying because they think they're going to be like, you know, raped by these by the space marines because that's apparently what happens, you know, by uh, from other conquests. We all know better. The space marines don't. Yeah, that, that's not that's oh. not part of the part of the part program. Maybe the purple and gold ones, but that's a different issue. <laughs> well, OK. Yeah. Um, and then uh, then the tyrants come out. And uh, 
there was this great part, slowly, haltingly, they knelt before their conquerors, and in the tradition of their people, they bared their necks, prepared to die. Uh, Halvdan and Jürgen shared a brief look and shook their heads in disgust. And then, uh, so then, I love that he gets his little speech to them, so we meet again, just as I told you we would seven years ago. Back mm. then... I stood in your palace of crystal and steel, and I brought you glad tidings from our All-Father, the Emperor of Mankind. I bore a message of welcome and promises of peace and order. I gave you this, he said, holding out his left hand, and you spat upon my palm. You scorned the gifts of my Lord and sent me into the streets like a beggar, threatening to kill me if we meet again. Before I left, I swore to you this day would come. Now your fleets have been broken and your army scattered. Your palace of steel and crystal is no more. Your sons are dead and your cities lie in ruins. His voice lowered to a throaty growl, and his lips drew back in a snarl, revealing prominent wolf-like canines. You are tyrants no longer. You have been cast down, and I've seen to it that neither you nor your kind will ever rise again. I just, it's like, he just, you know, just lets them know they're done. It's just, it's a great little speech. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. I I do like it. Um, but they don't kill them. No. So there is that. And, and, he, and a little bit further on, actually, they talk about, oh, it'll be hundreds of years before they are able to revolt. You know, someone's like, oh, they'll revolt if you leave them. It'll well, be hundreds of years, um, which is kind of a show of, you know, the Great Crusade. Um, they were pushing hard. They didn't have time. This is why we'll see later on the the, the, the word bearers got uh, criticized, got kind of rebuked for taking too long. Right? The emperor's plans needed to progress quickly. Um, so yeah, they potentially left these guys behind to fester in there. You know, and another, another planets did as you read through the, the four twelve books, you know, there were revolts. There were, but I mean, they never, I mean, even in the revolt, they never had a, none of these revolutions have a chance. Uh, doesn't matter. It takes away resources. So, uh, particularly in the Forge World books, you know, one uh, planetary leader managed to get a small, a small number of pal- planets, and then all their resources, all their ships, then have to be dealt with, because if you allow one to fester, then others. Well, fester. that's true. So there's that as well. So not only do you have to bring ships back to deal with them, but it's causing all those problems. But so according was- to the story, the emperor is the one who decided that these guys will be responsible for rebuilding what they've ruined under the eye of an imperial governor. So it's the emperor's yeah, absolutely. plan. And, and I like it. I like it. No, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to make you build everything you made us tear down. We came here to bring you into the fold. You made us break all this stuff. You made yeah. us do this. Now you put it back. This is like when your mom comes into your room when you're a kid and you won't clean it and she gets mad. She goes, what's this mess? And she sweeps everything off the table Yeah, because it's all filled. And then she makes you go put it all away and clean it up like, you yeah. just threw it on the floor. It's like, oh, I wouldn't have thrown it on the floor if you'd have put it away like I told you to. You know, it's that, that, that sort of thing, like rebuking a child. Like, okay, no, I'm not going to kill you. That's a waste. You're going to fix this. Yeah, and we mentioned a number of times the Emperor's playing this game where he has to walk a tight rope. So if if these guys do come on board and do that, then brilliant, the job's worked. You know, um, and if not, well, it's hundreds of years, we don't have to worry about it right at the moment. But it's also interesting, it's quite fun, because um, they freed all the slaves, didn't they, saying that they'll no longer be slaved. Welcome to the Imperium, where it could be answered that everyone's a slave. Yeah. You don't serve anyone but the All-Father. You're no longer a slave to anyone but the Emperor. It's one of those um, 
uh, yeah, one of those situations which uh, you know people who like to suggest that the emperor is actually the bad guy in all this uh, will point to and say, "Look what he did! Look what he did!" Um, and there's arguments about whether it's necessity or whatever, and and that's a discussion that I'm sure we'll have again down the line. I love him. I don't care. All right. <laughs> Uh, so, I, I, yeah, he's ruthless and he's horrible. We would have died without him. We wouldn't be here without him. Shut up. Not not you personally, just the listeners and everybody else. Everyone who disagrees with me is wrong. So there. Um, yeah, you said it on the internet. <laughs> that's right. I said it and it's on the internet. Therefore, I'm right. Um, yeah. So they get orders. They have to be in Telkara in five months because guess why? They got to go to Prospero. Yeah, yeehaw! Oh, Story's yeah. going. We know where. Th- even I know where that's going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now a scout ship picks up Vox transmissions from a planet without any record of colonization, and um, and so they get this record. And Bullvise men are like, "Dude, we gotta go." Didn't they just say we gotta go? And he's like, "No." And they get another little part here that I like. Uh, Johan is so it's it's funny. You could tell that they're friends too, as well as you know. But he's his he you know, Bullvi's in charge, so Johan's got to put up with disagreements. And in yeah. the end, you know, in the end, he can argue because they're they're tight. But in the end, you got to shut up and listen to the boss because there's just there's so much exasperation here. Yeah, we see it a lot anyway. Actually, we see it a lot that. Um, a lot of the Astartes aren't afraid to have that person who always looks at that other side anyway. Right. You know? Well, and it's even even like the Mornival. You sort of need those guys who are going to take the other nice. position. You need yeah. that guy to kind of keep you in check and make sure you're make sure you're you know you don't want a bunch of yes men. Nobody does. No. Um, so what do they got? They got them. Uh, Bullvise expression darkened. Halvden shot a sidelong glance at Jurgen and shook his head. Leave it, he said to the whole floor. It's just one world. Let the army have a look. We've got new orders. Halvden's right, my lord, Jurgen added. We've reclaimed every settled world in the subsector. What more can we do? What more? Our duty to mankind, of course. Yeah. You know, and then he looks over at the who's Carl. Tell me of this world. You know, it's, it's you know. Oh, Johan. No, no, it wasn't Johan who was the, the friend is. That was the, the, the is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was the guy who's home. So, of course, now they're going. Yes. So the 954th Expeditionary Fleet. Oh, my Again, goodness. Just in case you forgot what scale you're dealing with here. And, and um, yeah, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. I still can't wrap my head around. I've given up trying to wrap my head around the scope of what's going on here. Um, I, I, I finally just was talking. I was talking with Harrison actually joking about it. I'm like, dude, I gave up when I realized they have entire planets that just make bullets. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, if they've, if they've got a planet that's got a good resource, like this is a good, re- this, this planet is full of this mineral and we need this mineral to make this item. They just convert that planet to making that item. And he's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah. This planet will make these bullets until it's out of that item. And then, well, we're expanding. We're always expanding. There's always more planets. The universe is a big place. We'll find another planet. He's like, it's, 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 it's staggering, the scope of this, this story. Like, I don't, I honestly don't think there's any other story like it. It's one of the things I like about it. I don't think there's ever been a story that, that 
works on this scale. Like, I mean, there's Star Wars and there's Star Trek, but they're all like, they're all about galaxy-spanning empires, but they're all still like still self-sufficient Earth-like planets. You know, yes. they're not. We're creating such a huge thing to go out that we on this sort of a scale. Like this scale's like this. I, I just give up trying to figure it out at this point. I'm like, okay, it's big, and I, I'm I'm going with it. I can't imagine the people like that that keep track of this stuff. Like, you know, and and people like the sigilite and stuff who 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 have an actual grasp of the the scope of of what's going on here and understand the scale. Good good for you. <laughs> yes, yeah. So they uh, they go off flying towards the planet, um, uh, and it's it's kind of blasted and and war torn. Yep. Uh, and th- there was one bit here that I know, irked me a little bit, and it was about the psychers. So yep. Halfdan is like psychers then, and it goes on. You know, psychers are warlocks and unnatural powers called widespread chaos. And it's like, yeah, we get the idea. We're going to Prospero. And we have to know that the Space Wolves don't particularly like the Psychers. And, yeah, yeah, it was a bit kind of bit forced in there. Um, yeah, page 82, I had that highlighted myself, just the whole Psyker thing, and it's just the, that constant repeat of it. And, okay, can I ask this? And I know I, I've probably even asked it before on the show. Is it just because it's a manifestation of the warp and be, because they can... I mean, is that is that? I mean, that's where the power comes from, right? It's just like yeah, magic and fantasy. It comes from chaos, and it can get out of control and take you over. And and they do, wreck they you. do, they do get into this. Uh, you know, a few of the legions don't trust psychers. Um, you know, the space will still employ them, but they there's this. It's the difference, uh, and they're, they're called uh, hypocrites because of it. Um, it's the difference. It's like they're uh, they're supposedly that, as we say, that Nordic primitive in you know inverted commas culture so you mistrust the witch anyway um but the the kind of shaman who digs into the earth their land you know their their psychers their uh, uh rune priests kind of they pull on upon the fat power of fenris and so they don't consider themselves to be the same and essentially them along with the white scars to a certain extent it's about how they do the job rather than what they're doing it's like no like we don't dig deep we don't do it the same way that you do it is it a kid- the thousand sons the thousand sons are not just psychers they're sorcerers so it's it's beyond just using psychic ability it's then moving into the occult the arcana okay as well but um yeah it's can i ask this question once again and i don't want to upset our listeners who aren't into fantasy because i always get this and i know i i've actually gotten comments from people you know listeners who are like oh you know but can because i know you play both is it kind of like the dwarfs how they never used magic in fantasy but they made runes where they used and imbued things with magic so they had it's, magical stuff but no real magic spells it's similar way uh, so yeah similar the, the, concept where you know they don't actually cast magic but they have magic stuff that they were able to make and yeah. use so the runesmiths in, in the dwarf army actually use the very power of magic to imbue their runes and they know they're doing that but it's about the control of the magic as it were 
So when, when the magic's stuck in a rune, a dwarf knows how to use it safely. Right. Uh, and wolf uh, rune priests, um, to a point, are like, no, we don't, we don't dig into the bad stuff. We are controlled power of Fenris flowing through us, which is very different from psychers. Very different. You must remember this. It's sort of ritualized and, yes. and sort of very controlled, and we only do this certain thing because we understand this, and we know exactly what will happen when we use it's this. Not quite, it's not quite as strong a difference as the dwarves are, which is where the cries of hypocrisy come from about the space wolves. Well, I mean, because it seems that way to me, too. I mean, it does seem a little hypocritical as because, as, I mean... Uh, we can also you could also potentially look at the fact that the space wolves. Um, oh, I don't want to spoil that. Um, the space wolves have a set role in the in in the legion setup. You know, every legion right. has its speciality. The the, the space the space wolves have their set role, um, and um, the, there's probably only a handful of people who don't really know this, but it's still worth not. Everyone else knows what I mean. Right. No, I, and I think I know what you mean too. In fact. So, when we get to the book Prospero Burns, that's where that's where I had the, that's where it finally came to me. I was like, "Oh, this is a bit hypocritical." Like as I'm see when you get to actually see the but, Space Wolf life, and I'm just like, "Okay." Um, but, the, but the role they've got to do would become a lot harder without those. And actually, potentially, you could argue they consider themselves a little bit outside the rules because of that role they've got to do. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that in there as well, personally. But yeah, that's cool. That's uh, I get you. But yeah, okay. So, um, so they 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 get there and they find this city, and there's um, there's weird stuff there. Like they've got these cities that are built on this planet, but then there's also these weird sort of spires. Yeah, these tall spires that don't seem like the other places. A bit unnatural. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's obviously Xenos structure before you even get to the height of them. Right, uh, they're, they're all curved and they're all and there's some telltale signs there, and it, and it looks to almost be grown and and all that jazz. Yeah, I mean even as I was reading it, I mean as as a guy once again, I'm, and I know more than nothing. I mean I'm not completely stupid. I enjoy it enough where I read some of the fluff books and I own some. Uh, codices um i was reading this going oh that's got to be eldar or or some, some something of that sort of build it looked like that it sounded like that to me when i was reading it um, yeah, darks uh, matte black so dark it swallowed light um, then I, yeah then it was like oh dark eldar there you go yeah you know it's it's all um kind of smooth and stuff yeah and then it you know and it's five, more than five thousand feet high as well um yeah, it's very it's something very alien. Yeah, and I just I just assumed it was an alien race that we we would know. You know, I just I was going on that assumption since you know I was figuring that in a short story they're not going to introduce something we had no idea of what it was. I, usually in the short stories it seems they're going to at least introduce races that are familiar. Um, but so you know they're not they're like okay what's going on here? They're checking it out. Um, so. I, 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 I mean, we quickly see because they they eventually come down in, into the city, and you know it seems to be working as a city. Um, yeah, but they're less inquisitive than normal, which you know again is a little hint. Uh, and then we get the picture of the Eldar alongside a spacefaring Antimonan. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, I mean, it, it quickly goes on to show. Okay, so the Eldar are involved somewhere, right? And they're when they they land and they're greeted by uh, Andres Santano, who's the son of a senator. Um, he's the one that they they contacted when they were coming down. That they they when they were they heard it and they they had sent out as hey, you know we're coming in. So he's informed the Senate and they want to meet them and hear more. But he seems afraid like there's something he's not telling them it's obvious or something he's not telling them he seems sort of prepping for something uh and bull i just feels there's something weird going the whole yeah something's right. yeah. yeah um there's a quick mention that they've got these hololith slates and portable vox units that are more advanced um than the stuff they're carrying yeah so they're like oh they've got stuff that's back from before the age of strife like they've got and that's more valuable than finding a civilization yeah so they've got stuff here that we definitely want yeah um yeah and they take him through to the um in the end we come through to the the speaker's hall uh, and i like i like the fact that the main speaker he's not awed by the space marines no and not at all takes some doing which which just shows that whatever else is coming here must be something that you know, they've seen other things. So that because that stopped me too. Really, that doesn't frighten you at all because these guys are pretty scary, and especially space wolves because you know these are the more feral version of your space marines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I loved the next part. By the way, though, um, they don't just treat the space wolves kind of crappy, and Bullvi is constantly holding these guys back. Um, you know, stand down, do this. Um, he looks around, and they, he's going to take him to this place, and he looks at all of their history, and he sees that there were, you know, fighters at one time, but they're kind of not, and the kid seems kind of annoyed by it. But finally he gets into this interior of the Senate building, and um, this was one of the other things that I thought maybe of actually using for the opening reading. But when we got to that story from The Voice, I was like, oh, I like this too much. This whole just whole idea of why would Horus do this? Uh, I thought was great, but you know, um, you know, first you get the speaker who's just like, "Let me begin this farce." That's saying he's a fool and you don't even belong here. I mean, like he just comes out not just not afraid, insulting them. And yeah, I'm just like oh man, people are gonna. I was just I'm like oh blood is gonna flow in this room any minute. I was surprised that it didn't. Like, I was like, okay, he's keeping his control on because I was just like, all right. Um, I mean, even they're judging by the weight of baubles hanging from your chest. I assume you're the leader of this pack of wolves. Who are you then? <laughs> like, ooh, you know, <laughs> the contempt left Bullfye speechless and maintaining to contain his composure. I was like, oh, my God. Clans had fought bloody, bloody feuds for generations over lesser slights. Um, he starts telling him who he is and he cuts it off. I don't need a recitation of your petty titles. Make your demands and get out. I'm just like, holy crap. Yeah, I mean, the few things that are going for the space, the space was to not react here are um, they picking up little bits of information so they know something else is going on and there's the secrets and it's like, mm, that, you know, something, there's something below the surface here. It's not just them being rude. But yeah, I mean, uh, other, another time, another place, 
yeah, that might have been enough. Well, and he's <laughs> holding some of the other guys back too, because I mean, you could tell some of the other guys are ready to cut this guy's head off. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's gonna, you know, he's keeping a few of them from turning into a blur of movement, a loud bang, and the red mist that comes <laughs> from a bolter round. Um, but he comes in, and of course, you know, uh, we're not here to make demands. We're happy to welcome you back to the. All Father, the Lord of Mankind, embracing his lost children. And I just, I got a couple little bits here, and I'm not doing the whole part. It's just, I just, this is so, I love how, um, I love how this part is written. I love how Mike Lee writes this. He gives, and, and so he began to tell the tale of the rise of old night and the collapse of galactic civilization, of the rack and ruin of worlds. And he tells it, how, and he says, he tells it as best he could. Be, you know, begging the forgiveness when the tales gets confused. He kind of goes through. Finally, he told the tale of the All Fathers' conquest of Terra and the creation of the first Astartes to fill the ranks of his armies. He recounts the Great Crusade and the All Father, uh, re- the reunion of the All Father with his children, and then concluded with the epic of the first meeting between Lehman Russ and the All Father on Fenris, a tale he knew very well. And he goes through there and. Uh, I greet you in the name of the All-Father. Take my hand and be at peace. The Imperium welcomes you. And this story took hours to tell. Yes. yes. Like he sat there and talked to them for hours, gave them the entire history of the universe as he knew it, of all the wonderful things that have happened. And then he stands up and he looks at him and he goes, lies, damned lies, every word of it. And... I was just like, oh, okay, now here's where everybody dies. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I can't believe it. And that's when the spaceships come in. Yes. And these guys, I mean, seriously, these guys were dead. These guys were going to die here, except the spaceships come in, and everybody looks to see what's going on in the alarm sound, and that's when he turns and goes, you were here distracting us. Uh, while your soulless cronies come in, I knew you couldn't be trusted. Get out of here. We don't want to be a part of your Imperium. And now Bolvai's really confused. Yep. And and uh, he, so that's when he starts barking out orders and he grabs the kid. What's his name? Andrus. What's going on? The Harrowers. The Harrowers are back. And position. Yeah. So, yeah, they come um, restricted by fluctuating uh, warp storms, which seem to have a seven-year cycle. But this time they're early and they're not ready. Um, And, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, they're coming because they're early. So they, you know, the, the, the stocks of slaves being given to them are harder to get. They were talking about the... The drawing lots because prisoners run out, things like that. So maybe the the the, the harrowers, the dark elder, as we see, are just like we just want to have fun. Yep, but it's all good. Yeah. So um, this is what you find out. Uh, first, he's trying to talk to the ship, the Iron Wolf, and yep. Zeno's warships. You know, twenty or thirty of them are just flying out of nowhere, and they're all fighting. Um. And he tells him to get out of there, and then you know things start exploding. He doesn't know what's going on. All they know is they there's this huge flash of light out in the sky, and the the fighting out there seems to stop. And he's like, uh oh. So the ship that had brought them down looks like it was destroyed. Um, they yeah. basically they basically got their shuttle 
and and that's it and them and now they're down there and um so yeah every seven years the ship came down and hunted them like animals uh they made a deal um i guess they they fought them at one point they made they fought them um and the one time they did fight them they came and they just bombarded them from space uh until they bombarded them into submission and uh, basically, so every seven years, the Dark Eldar show up and use this place to hunt for slaves and sport is basically what it comes down to. Oh, yes. Yeah. But this time, the router there. Yeah. And so, uh, and and he's just, he's so mad because basically the Senate made a deal. Um, they went to back to their ships and after that, the Senate, they said, you know, they can't fight them anymore. Um, and so every seven years, they put all the prisoners and and uh, criminals out there for them to take. And they go into their well-stocked and well-put-together. Uh, they basically have, uh, uh, you know, um, un- they have bunkers. You know, they have, uh, you know, underground bunkers that they lock themselves into, you know, uh, bomb shelters and stuff. Uh, for to to live out the six months to a year that they're here every seven years, um, but apparently the criminals even wised up and people stop committing crimes when it gets close to this time because nobody wants to be in jail. I like that touch. Yeah, so now they're low on criminals, so they had to draw lots, and of course the rich people's kids don't wind up drawing lots. Um, you know they they managed to weasel their kids out of it, so you got all these people here. Um, and so now they're like, nope, we're not letting this happen. We're going to help you. Yeah, the Space Wolves uh, predator up with their mud all over them. Yeah, um, which, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really good, actually, because it just shows that, um, yes, all the Space Marines have these uh, very colorful or, or distinctive, at least, color schemes. But, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not proud enough, most of them, to just kind of go, yep, we don't want to be really grey in this brown world because that's not going to work. So they're quite happy to go, yep, we'll cover that colour up. Yep. So it allows you as a modeler as well, if you play the games, to kind of expand. Yeah. I mean, it's just great. So they came early and they said they, they're probably tired of getting... He, the, the Andrus guesses they came early on purpose because they're tired of getting... Yeah. Uh, it, it's no sport. Yeah, they're bored now. They've done it for a while. Now they're bored. So they came early just to throw it into disarray, and this is messing with things. So, you know, they're they're going in, and they're going to get them. They think they can prey on mankind like sheep. I'm going to show them the error of their waves. So, yeah. Well, I really like, actually, because, yeah, they go out to, to ambush the ambushers, as it were. Right. And on the way, Jürgen and Bullvi are having that conversation of, like, what are you doing? These guys don't want us here. And he's like, and Bullvar is a little bit, it reminded me a little bit of Horace with the Interrex, where it's like, it's not quite that simple anymore. You know, yeah. it's, we, we, can, we can talk to them, we can teach them. Do they have to, you know, completely bend the knee? Can we, can we come to some arrangement? Um, yeah, so there was a there was kind of like a view of, you know, what is the Great Crusade now? What is the Imperium now? Can, can it be something slightly different to what we've been doing for years? Uh, which I quite liked. Right. 
Yeah, it's, and, and he makes a great argument. I have it highlighted here. He goes, uh, you know, are you saying we're not equal to the task? I'm saying it's not our fight. These people aren't imperial citizens. In fact, their leader called you a liar and said he wanted nothing to do with us. If the Xenos hadn't shown up yesterday, you'd be on the Iron Wolf right now planning a campaign to conquer this planet and force it into compliance. And Volvi's gaze narrowed angrily at the lieutenant's bald declaration, but he nodded. What you say is true, brother, but it changes nothing. We're warriors of the emperor and protectors of mankind. All mankind. If we don't live up to that ideal, then all the blood we've shed during the crusade has been for naught, and I'll be damned before I let that happen. So yeah. it's like, yeah, they don't, maybe they don't want us here, and maybe we would have been conquering their dumb asses. Uh, you know, it, but that doesn't matter. Us conquering them to force them back into the empire is one thing. Us letting, you know, this is like, you know, when, when, you, when you make fun of your siblings. Yeah. And that's someone, okay. Somebody else says something well, about it. That's my little brother. Only I'm allowed to take the mickey out of him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your little sister walks by and you flip her off and then your friend's sitting on the couch. Has she put on weight? Hey, shut up. You know, it's like, that's my sister. Don't you say anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. That, exactly. And that's what that's kind of what's going on here, basically, to, to, to really oversimplify it. Well, no, I don't think it is an oversimplification. There is a, it's pretty, um, yeah, we both come to roughly the same conclusion in that respect. Um, and then you get some really, I mean, it's, it's, it's fighting, you know, um, they're over it's, there and and they they do a good job of there are some nice bits though because you've got um Bullvise warning to the elder so he names himself as Axeman of the Russ and sworn brother to Lehman Primarch of the 6th Legion so this guy is he's an one of the Axemen to Lehman Russ on the thing so that's you know he's pretty high yeah the thing and we get that confirmation that Russ is a tribal name you know Lehman took that name on which is quite nice as well to get i like the descriptions of the Dark Eldar too. There's some really great because they 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 don't go very far into anything with them, but just uh, uh, they advance toward him in a rough crescent. Their rifles held across their chest, whispering to another in a sibilant tongue that sounded like the rustle of dry snake skin. They were wary, studying the studies with disquieting intensity. But it was clear from their unhurried advance they didn't consider the three wolves a serious threat. Um, they were surrounded by a miasma of pheromones, adrenal vapors, and narcotic musks. It was all his enhanced physiology could do to filter the poisons before they rendered him insensate. As it was, his head swam and his knees felt weak. He heard Halvden curse under his breath and knew his men were struggling as well. So, um, you know, even then the thing came up, the alien grinned at him, spoke in a gurgling voice that bubbled up from a pheromone-soaked lungs. You will make a fine gift for my master, he said in passable low gothic. How he will laugh to hear your bold words as he unspools the flesh from your bones. Your suffering will be exquisite. You're not the master of this? He's like, no, my master's this guy. He's like, oh, well, then you and I have nothing more to discuss. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not in charge? No. Oh, okay. I'm not, then why am I talking to you? And he puts a bullet through his eye. Yeah, they don't mess around. <laughs> I like um, This ambush really plays on the superiority complex of the Eldar as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and particularly the Dark Elder. Um, whether it seems like they have some kind of, you know, I'm sure these guys would know of the Eldar of their weapons uh, and they probably have mixed with some Dark Elder at some point. So I did think the fight, I, it didn't use some of the names. It was a bit, it was all right, but there were some bits in it. I was like, mm, surely they would know that kind of thing. Um, 
but we get to see them fighting for the you know really fighting for the first time which is cool again it's just, it's a little bit 40k but there's some, there is some th- specifically 30k in there which is good nice to see they don't all have axes you know a lot of them have swords right because I, I was like you can you can be a bit worried about that i mean the singing of songs maybe but I like the wolf keeps surging in bullvine. He keeps putting it at bay. The wolf keeps wanting to be let released, and he keeps holding it back. It's not time to let the wolf out. Not time to let the wolf out. Yeah, which again could really you could really read more into that. Bearing in mind the story of the Thirteenth Company as it was per se, I don't don't know how much that's changed in Forty K, but that's cool. Um, And so then they basically it this becomes a. This gorilla. becomes a guerrilla campaign. Yeah. I like the fact they uh, they hide in the radioactive areas. Yes. You know, um, and are hit and running out of that, which is cool. Um, uh, it, it does hamper their ability to heal, and a lot more of them wind up going into that uh, that space marine coma that they go into, where they don't die, but it's like it shuts down because it's sus- got to an- heal. Yeah, the sus- uh, suspension, uh, suspended animation right. uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, Yep, and you know, luckily, Bullvi was a raider, uh, which allows him to um, to kind of perform these raids in the way he is. Uh, I, I am surprised that the Eldar can't track them quite so as you know very easily. I know the radioactive area, but surely they would have like be able to lock them down to an area. Well, I mean, if the radioactive area is, is large enough, I suppose, and he says they kept moving. They moved 12 times in the last month or two months. If you're moving every three days. Again, maybe it's down to whether how, like the Harrowers are still attacking the cities during this time. So right. uh, if you, I suppose we are Eldar 10,000 years ago where they really thought they were, I mean, they still think they're above everyone in 40K, but I suppose they probably just went, oh yeah, whatever, we'll deal with them. And right. I'm, I want to carry on and have my sport, I suppose, yeah. I mean, they do get to the point where it says that they keep, uh, they had constant patrols searching the wastelands, some venturing as far north and south as the planetary poles, and in the last few weeks had even resorted to unleashing random orbital bombardments against some of the larger ruins in hope of flushing out their prey. So, um, yeah. They did a good job. Yeah. They succeeded for no other reason that they were willing and able to suffer far more privation and hardship than their foes. I mean, it's just like, okay. Space Marines for you. Yep. Um, so they're just, they're basically suffering, and but they're taking yeah. it, and they're slowly yeah. losing this war of attrition. I mean, they're just slowly, I mean, the radiation and the damage is slowly yeah. getting to them. Forever. Um, and, and again, we get that conversation strike up about, why are we doing this, you know? And here, you know, Bullvite then here is like, well, there's a chance of convincing the people to yeah. join the Imperium. We must do it. Um, it's not only that we must do it because morally, but we were also told to do it. So, you know, we were given an order, we're going to do it. Um, yeah, and he's, yeah, again... Kurnanovs, you know, they, you know, we're here to save them, not to kill them. Yeah, I'm not saying you've gone soft. He goes, I know that, I, but you're wondering why I'm going to such an effort to fight for people I'm going to have to conquer later. Yeah, we're crusaders, and he sent us to bring them back. Yeah, and if the sp- there's a chance I can convince them, I'm going to do it. Yeah, there's the spirit of the crusade. If saving them from the Dark Eldar will get them to join us, then it's worth doing this. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, to be fair, the local populace has started to reach out with resources. Uh, you know, left these little supply drops for them. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's, a, there's a hope there. Yeah. Um, 
And finally, there was, you know, on one of them, there's a note to contact Andras. With a date and a time for a place. And they go there. And um, I like that a trio of figures slips out of the woods. And they're impressed because they didn't, they didn't realize they were there until they came out of cover. Yeah. Like they didn't even smell them or anything. He's like, oh, that was impressive. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we want to join you. We want to fight with you. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. And this, you know... And you know what? And this is the first time I'm reading it. And I should have. I'm, I'm such a dope. And this is me just, you know, once again, I'm always siding with, with hope and with the good guys. I totally forgot the title of the damn book because I'm sitting here going, oh, they're siding with them. And, you know, they're fighting against the Xenos and they're coming here and they're. Pa- and I'm like, I totally. I'm like, where's the heresy coming in? And where the heresy is coming in should be obvious, you know, from the first part where they didn't want to join. It's like, well, that heresy wouldn't have ended in the middle of the story. Certainly from my point of view, I was like, what are the 13th company up to? Because I know there's a story for them. So in me reading this, it was like, well, how does this affect the 13th company? Because that in itself is a story. You know, it turns out to just be more of a, here's the 13th company, woo. Um but yeah, so you know, it's not always quite so easy to read in. Right, but I was still trying to find where you know I did. I wasn't thinking about the Harrison. Like, oh, they're joining them now. They'll fi- they'll fight them off, and yeah, they'll and they'll they, join the they'll join the they'll join the. You know, once they get them fought off, they'll join the the. Because in all these stories, the sons are always like wanting to be the fighters and learning and keeping the old ways alive. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> My dad was weak and gave in. Um, yeah, it's, it's right, a so, trope, which is cool. And so they're going to attack the spire. If they take out the head guy, then all the uh, all the guys, uh, especially. And they and you're right; they do seem to know something about the Dark Eldar, if not about tyrants in general and raiders. If we can yep. take out the head guy, all the secondary guys will start fighting amongst themselves. They won't be able to hold it together, and they'll pull out while the struggle for power happens. Yeah, and. Um, I like the you know, uh, the, like every classic D and D character, his his mother and sibling were killed, uh, so he he took up and decided to train himself. Right, yeah, that's the <laughs> next part of the story. Exactly. Why did you answer our calls when no one else did? Because if I ever had the chance, I was going to make them pay for killing my mom and my sister. Uh, so they go through and they do the fighting. If we can get to the reactor chamber, we can bring down the spire. How do you know we'll get the leader? Blabble, blabble. Again, like all uh, alien ships, um, someone knows how to fly it. Well, you know, controls are controls. You pull back, you go up, you push forward, you go down. If not, you invert it. It's, it's, it's you know, an L- It's an Eldar ship. It, it, it's going to work the same. Come on. Didn't you see Independence Day? They hooked up a computer and they gave them a virus with our computer programs. All the Jeff, computers work the same throughout Jeff, the galaxy. Oblim can do that. He did. I saw yeah, it. And I, and I got dragged to I got dragged to the sequel by a friend of mine. So don't let's not go there because I had to sit through that for two and a half hours. Independence Day is a marvelous film. Uh, <laughs> bring it up quite a lot on this show. Normally, it's normally the president's speech, but you know. Oh, he gave a couple of doozies in the sequel. He wasn't even the president. He was just—he <laughs> gave speeches to anyone in the room. Like if you're in the room, you got a speech. Awesome. Oh my goodness! All right, so um, yeah, once he yeah once he realizes we're going for the reactor, he'll come to us, and then you get the fight. You know, and it's this is good. I'm kind of speeding through it a bit. Um, yeah, 
it's a lot of bottle porn. I mean, we've got, and there's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, as, as we said, it's, it's very much Independence Day. They steal a ship, which doesn't really seem to get reported that well. You know, um, uh, no one's, no one, yeah, they managed to get away. Okay. They, they fly towards the spire. They're making their way 20 minutes or some time for a 700 meter journey where no one really questions them. Um, and then when the raiders do finally get to them as they're closing on the spire, they, they're like, you want to get into hand-to-hand combat. And it's like, uh, you kind of think they might have learned their lesson with the Space Wolves. Right. But, you know, but that's, you know, but that's they're the Dark Eldar too. They're cocky. They're, you know, I'm the best yeah. fighter around. I can jump and flip and, and stab and, you know, poison. Yeah. Even though all my mates have been dying to these sods. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it's it's how else do I get to the spire? I suppose. And now, and the wolf inside him is now. Now the the the, the chieftain has no face. He's got lots of faces. You know, he's scarier than scary. They finally get inside that spire, yeah, and he's there, and it's he's weird. Yeah, uh, of course he is. He's you know he's all freaky. But it is nice is um, that this this chieftain is better. Like he's quicker. Yeah, uh, he's got better equipment and it's not that often actually that we've seen yes sometimes they've had better equipment but rarely is anyone a match for a space marine yeah but this guy is but this guy is he's fast he's he's quick he's hardcore he's he dies just the same well he does but you know first we've got to have that uh human sacrificing himself sure he does you know, again, these these kids—they've got to be proving their worth. Um, and and again, when Bullvi does strike him, he goes street fighting. You know, yeah, yeah, you're fancy, you're fancy. Here's an elbow across the face and knee to the groin, <laughs> and right. tearing his eyeballs. Yeah, you know, <laughs> pulling his hair—it's it's all that kind of stuff. Finger to the throat means death. Metaphor. <laughs> yes, um, it won't so, go over my head. I will catch it. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I watched it last night. Yeah, uh, I saw you quoted it. That's why I <laughs> brought it to my mind. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we get a classic big fight. Um, all the other raiders die fairly easy. It was only really that chieftain that was a real, a real big problem. Yeah. Uh, and, then, you know, and then you get the party. The sun is setting. Yeah, you know, big- the Ewoks are singing their song. Everybody's dancing. The fires are burning. Everyone's got a little drink. You know, they're doing trust falls and, uh, you know, making friends. And then Bovoy turns around to Antimon and is like, yes, you're going to be a solid Imperial planet. I, I, I look forward to having you in the Imperium. Yeah, we owe you more than we can ever repay. You don't have to repay us. You're just being part of the Imperium thinks enough. He's like, oh, uh, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and that was where I was like, oh, there's the heresy. We're not going to be a part of your group. And that's when he's like, oh. And then he just, uh, he just shoots him. Or no, he just cuts. He just pulls the axe. Yeah, just just finishes him and cuts his thread, as we'll learn later on. Um, yeah, and and then you get all the echoes now of uh, yeah, the harrowers played them for sport, but essentially, were they any better under the harrowers? Because the harrowers uh, at least kept them. You know, at least that planet continued living, and there was a chance. There was hope. There was no hope when the space marines attacked. That's it. Well, until they give up and and say, yes, I will join the Imperium. Once they surrender, they'll stop attacking. If they surrender. These guys have lived under slavery for so long that all they 
it's freedom. I, I get the feeling they did not surrender. Yeah. Now yeah. I, here, this is I, I, this last part. You know, he just he stops looking at them. His Stormblade. This is Fenris. This world has refused compliance. Execute Crusade Plan Epsilon and commence bomb, uh, combat operations at once. With a heavy tread, the Wolf Lord stepped over the body of Andrus and his men, leaving bloody footprints on the steps as he climbed his way to the speaker's chair. The wood creaked under his weight as he sat himself upon it and rested his bloody axe across his knees. Outside, the people of Antamon were still cheering their deliverance when the first bombs began to fall. That picture of him sitting on that with the... It reminded me of Conan. The end of Conan, just, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, just like just sitting there on those steps, like he's conquered everything. He's got literally blood on his feet where he's walked through the blood of the conquered. Yeah, the, di- the difference here is he didn't want this. Well, he didn't. Well, Conan, you know, well, he, Conan, it, he bears the, the 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 crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. Like it's not that's not the you know it's it's that true. That's oh, this was. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, very much that, uh, you know, seriously, guys, all you had to do was join. That was it. But these but these guys were like, no, we want to be free men. And, again, this is another story which really highlights that um, the Imperium is not about the individuals that are in it. The Imperium is about the machine of the Imperium and about humanity must survive. Again, we're talking about humanity. We're not talking about a human. We're talking about humanity as a race. And, yep. and it's, you know, can we leave these guys alone? Potentially they could, but they've got important information they need. They are resources of a planet. And, dude, they've got tech from before old night. I mean. We're taking that, you know, and then they'll take it over their dead bodies. Um, yeah. But they do the job. They, they do the job they're sent out to do. He really, he liked these guys. I really wanted them to join. They would have yeah. been good. Yeah. Why they got to be stupid? It's just like, oh man. And, and they can't see it either. The space marines can't see it to a certain point. You know, they're indoctrined to a certain point. Yeah. It's like, why, that, why? Why you got to do that? that? It's that that true belief. It's like, but this is good for you. It's like, but can't you understand that I don't want a new master? I don't want to go from slavery into slavery. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we can assume that these guys then, you know, meet up. Yep. With that five months. And head to Prospero. Well, they'd been here for three months. I, I wonder if they make it on time. Um, yeah. they here for, I mean, I th- I th- there's a, they have a very specific job uh, towards the end of Prospero. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, a very specific job. So. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? I haven't read Prospero in a while. That's right. Okay, now I remember. Thank you for reminding me. That's quite all right. Okay, okay. That was them once again. The numbers and things I didn't remember. All right. Uh, okay, look, we're hitting just over the two-hour mark. Um, yeah, so we, should we uh, should we just lump these two together and put them out as a show? Yeah, I think we should. Um, so, folks, I think we're going to cut it here. This uh, show not be long. It's, it's weird in that um, when we do a book, uh, there's a lot to talk about, but where there's a short story, there tends to be more packed into the same amount of pages but and because it's broken into many we actually kind of end up going quite long on them well and that's fine so this will this this will be nice because we can spread out the content a little more and have a we'll have two or three episodes on this book spread out a bit so that way um 
you'll actually have a few episodes to listen to, folks. Um, you'll enjoy it. It will spread it out for you a bit. Um, while I'm while we're reading the next Dark Angels book, so <laughs> while we're doing so, that, yeah. we've got notes on this. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it going. Um, uh, and as this you, felt good. I'm kind of I'm kind of jazzed. I'm kind of excited. So it's good to be back. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, uh, this way we, at least we know we've got some stuff read and we've got some stuff ready to record and. Um, GarageHammer.net forums still up? Yep, GarageHammer.net slash forum. Come on and join. Now listen, when Feedback. you... Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an After Illinois page under episodes. Um, we'll have the page up. Uh, when this is up, that'll be up at the same time. Um, you can always click on episodes and there's a drop tab for for GarageHammer and for After Illinois. So if you don't want to sift through all the GarageHammer episodes to find the After Illinois episodes, you can do that. Um, that should save you some time. <laughs> um, the other thing is, um, when you go to sign up on the forums, please drop me an email, garagehammer at live.com. Just tell me your username that you're signing up with. Um, because with the new forum, um, we've had even more like hackers trying to get in using their phony baloney names and spammers and stuff like that. Um, I just want to know that you're not a crazy spammer. So if you just send me an email saying that you're not a crazy spammer and what your username is, so I know which one is you, um, then, you know, as soon as I get home, I can jump on and and then log you in and get you in. Um, then the only thing is it just asks that you introduce yourself on the introductions page so that we just see you and say hi. And that's about it. Then once you're in, we'd love to hear from you. So... Yeah, and um, I've been really bad at keeping up with my uh, garage hammer mail for after and all, uh, just through life. Um, and I've, I've just looked and I've seen there's a few there. Some are quite old. But uh, yeah, you can get us, uh, Greg, at garagehammer.net. And but, I'm a David at garagehammer.net. But, right, yeah. but the garagehammer at live.com, that's all like the business stuff. So yeah, if you when you send in your... Uh, I tell you what, actually, probably the best way to get a hold of me is Greg at theimperialtruth.com. There you go. Because that's the one I'm on more regularly. But yeah. Okay, fantastic. So that's an episode. <laughs> and um, we'll be back um, with the next at least probably two more stories. There's seven here. So I don't know how we're going to break down the last three. Although um, the last church is actually kind of short, I think, relatively to the other stories. So maybe it'll be two, two, and three. Um, but we'll be back uh, with the very least with uh, Signs of the Storm and the Voice as we get into um, 10.1 uh, um, of Tales of Heresy next time on the Garage Hammer. No, not on the Garage Hammer, on the After Olinor. <laughs> Whoa, I'm just totally blanking here. I'm just getting late. Um, yep. And until then, folks, let's wrap this up. Until next time, the Emperor protects. Death to the false emperor. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Eleanor. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Eleanor. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Ulanor, at Child of Fang for Greg, and at Garagehammer for David. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect.